This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. So this week's Bloomberg Business Week cover story, it's a business takeover about vaccine passports, which could not only help global tourism, but also some other industries as well. In fact, every industry is safe to say. Here's more with Bloomberg Business Week Assistant Managing Editor Jim Ellis. So we, we've heard so much about, um, you know, the pain that businesses have had and, and the countries have had, you know, particularly tourist-dependent uh, countries. Uh, since the pandemic has pretty much stopped the ability to sort of easily move between places or even to congregating groups. So I thought it would be a great idea to sort of take a long look, a deep dive at, um, you know, A, the problem and also the range of solutions that are coming out now and whether this vaccine passport, the sort of mythical savior that so many people have been talking about, is really going to be as effective and as easy to put together as a lot of people seem to think. I mean, this is one of those things that this is a solution that mm. people came up with quite quickly before actually understanding ex- what it means. Right. Well, so it's like really, take a look at that. really, will it be the golden ticket? And you guys take us to Israel, you take us to uh, Europe, where I feel like this is where we're starting to see kind of moves in that direction, at least more ahead than some other parts of the world. Yeah, they've been uh, very, very much more um, interested in, in, in getting things reopened in a coordinated way than here in the U.S. for for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's in some ways it's simpler because their health systems sort of uh, uh, centralize a lot of data, and so therefore uh, here in the U.S. we've got a health system where you know millions of different systems in every state. And so it's sort of hard to be able to track people. That's easier in, in, in countries that have their own health systems. But more importantly, um, certain parts of the world are so impacted by the drop in travel that they have an interest in getting this back together, particularly Europe. Europe has a lot of countries, particularly in southern Europe, like Greece or Spain or in Italy, that desperately need tourism to come back. It's a big piece of their GDP, and they want some reason to say that it's safe to travel. Whether it's truly safe or whether that's just a fig leaf, it seems more and more businesses, whether it's an airline, whether it's in the hospitality business, but increasingly, whether it's in things like sporting events, um, uh, you know, gyms, all those are looking to a vaccine passport as a way to say, hey, it's safe. Here's your get-out-of-jail card. You have this. Now let's get back to business as usual. All right. So let's talk about some of the things that are out there. There's the International Air Transport Association. They've got a travel pass app. You've got uh, the EU with their digital green pass uh, proposal. You've got the AOK pass. Any of this really working well or at least maybe some tests of it? Well, yeah, the things are in tests. The issue is that there's right now no coherent standard mm. about what these things should, um, you know, sort of what kind of data they should capture and how they should be able to uh, sort of share that data and what do you have to do to make sure that that data is sort of private because it's often tied to other data, other health data on you and other sort of just personal information on you, which is a really big issue in parts of the world, particularly in Europe, 
where privacy is a major concern among, over everything. And so you've got a lot of competing systems as opposed to a standard, whether it's, you know, right now Air France is uh, uh, trialing something called an AOK pass. Um, you know, IATA, you know, has its travel pass, the common pass, which is something that's backed by the World Economic Forum. All of these are basically competing systems that in various ways take your vaccination and, and, and COVID testing history and put it uh, into a form that can somehow be displayed on a screen. Uh, the problem is that um, you know, how that happens can really affect how private the data is. So increasingly what we're seeing is people are you know, coalescing around sort of an open standard uh, that's tied in with the way that we look at security on the World Wide Web, which is pretty well you know, adopted around the world. And the key here is rather than having a central database that has everyone in the world's health data, right. which is something that most people would not want. <laughs> I, I just got to say, you made me really nervous. Like I think about, yeah. it's like similar to what we're trying to do with, you know, medical history. Every time I go to the doctor's office, I'm frustrated that I file something out, but will I be ultimately comfortable if there is some universal database that knows everything medically on me? Particularly since this database is, you know, some people would say that's cool if it's just to transport, you know, to, to, to transit borders or something right. like that, where government is involved. But increasingly, you know, this is going to be used. I mean, Britain is arguing now about whether this can be, whether a vaccine passport can be used for admissions to pubs, hmm. um, yeah. you know, and um, in other places. I mean, uh, uh, Hyatt earlier this month uh, said that it would consider using one of these apps, exploring using one of these apps to determine whether you should be able to attend a meeting or a convention at one of its hotels. Right. So, I mean, the, the, a lot of people are worried about that leaking out. So what the standard that seems to be emerging will be something that actually allows the data from your sort of health center or your health tester to somehow go into a secure app within your phone. Right. And then you can decide what what piece of it you want to put out and so therefore the border guard or the bartender or whatever wouldn't have access to all of your information just what little piece you determine that they can have from the phone at that time and that the user the, the person whose data this is would right. always be in control if yeah. they can make that work and they think that they can use web protocols to do that then that may be a solution vaccine passport yes for me Yes, for you. Yeah, look, it is so tricky, and I hesitate to be totally willing to give up my information, but we are really in unprecedented times right now. It's and like, it's so sticky, because, and we talked about this on Quick Take yesterday, there are so many issues with this, so many issues when it comes to equal access to vaccines. Yeah. But I don't know, I don't know. I'm, 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 I, say, I say yes, but I'm also on the fence. I don't know. I feel like there's so much already information we put out there. Is it just so bad to just say, okay, yeah, I've got the vaccine. Is it as simple as that? And it's just, you know, some universal system that really makes it possible for us to start moving around. I mean, you know, my wife went and got her first dose this week mm. and she got a sticker that said that she got vaccinated. She's feeling probably kind of good. Not like she goes outside to, and wears it around, right? It's not <laughs> like we're going anywhere right now. Well, that, of course, was Bloomberg Business Week Assistant Managing Editor Jim Ellis just really breaking down. He oversaw the coverage. Be sure to check out the vaccine passport issue of the magazine. It's on newsstands now at Bloomberg.com slash Business Week. And, of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal, all of those stories. Uh, really a thoughtful deep dive into the possibility of vaccine passports. 
This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. All right, so we are glued to our live blog that is all about three well-known tech CEOs testifying up on Capitol Hill. We're talking about CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Google CEO Sundar Pichai, and Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey testifying right now before the House Energy and Commerce Committee. The committee, Tim, is called Disinformation Nation, Social Media's Role in Promoting Extremism and Misinformation. Take that, you three tech CEOs. You know, (laughs) I'm starting to see a pattern here. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Um, What's the pattern? That these guys get grilled all the time they do. by members of the House Never and warm and, warm and fuzzy and cozy when they're up there. Let's get into it with Sarah Roberts, Assistant Professor of Information Studies at UCLA Graduate School of Education and Information Studies, author of Behind the Screen, Content Moderation in the Shadows of Social Media. She's with us from LA uh, on the phone. John Ehrlichman, anchor of BNN Bloomberg's The Open, correspondent for CTV National News on the phone from Toronto. A great twosome to be talking to. Sarah, let me kick it off with you. Um, this hearing, what's the problem? Who needs to be really accountable? How do you see it? You understand this world. Yeah, thanks for having me to discuss. Um, I think one of the big uh, takeaways that I had very early on in this hearing today, which is, as we, as we acknowledge, one in a series. We, see, we seem to be seeing these guys being paraded before Congress now with f- fair amount of regularity. Uh, one of the things that I was noting today was that there really are conversations happening by our Congress members at a number of different registers with regard to uh, the, their their uh, complaints and their their questioning to the CEOs. We have some members of Congress who are representing their constituents and talking about individual perceptions of you know bias towards them based on perhaps political or religious uh, orientation or creed or practice. We have other members of Congress talking about uh, much larger issues, such as the Rohingya genocide in Myanmar that uh, seems to have been orchestrated and and carried out uh, through people communicating on Facebook. That's fairly well known at this point. And then we have uh, even members of Congress bringing uh, multilateral trade agreements into the conversation, trade agreements notorious for their secrecy, and it comes comes to be the case that Section 230-like uh, language is being built into them. So in a way, uh, although I'm not known for my great uh, sympathy towards mm-hmm. the tech firms, I do have to say that uh, it's, it's, a quite a, it's quite a feat for them to respond to mm-hmm. all of these different registers. The, 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 the problems they're being asked to respond to are just coming at them from all different directions, and there's not a lot of cohesion from our Congress members, it's, it's, you know, just as a constituent, I find that a little disappointing because it really does derail in some ways uh, the, the, the kinds of complexities uh, that could be gotten into. Of course, we know that there's a lot of grandstanding that goes on right. things and a lot of just yes or no, answer the question right. to prove a point. So we got to take that yeah. political theater into, into the equation, too. Right. And, and that happens every time, uh, as we've seen time and time again. I, I should note that, as planned, the committee is recessing for 15 minutes right now. I, I, John Ehrlichman, come on in here and talk a little bit about the lawmakers and their lines of questioning here, because a, a common criticism over the past few years when it comes to the way that these members of Congress do speak to uh, these CEOs has been that it's not always clear that they know exactly what they're talking about. Do they seem, you know, quote unquote, read in on this? Yeah, it's a great question, Tim. And I'll be honest, after listening to so many of these grill sessions, and I and I totally um, um, 
see where Sierra's coming from. It's true. They, they, they have thrown at a whole bunch of stuff, and maybe the net result is you don't get as far as you need to get with what ultimately the goal may have been with today. But at the same time, this has been some of the most compelling testimony mm. that I've observed, it, it, partly because at the very least, I have walked away so far feeling as if we have moved beyond whether we actually you know, understand the business, you know, just watching everything, it felt to me like, I I don't need to know if this lawmaker understands everything that goes into the business of Facebook or Google. There's a robust conversation um, around whether or not these massive platforms should have the power to ignore or police their content, content that for years they said we don't create so we're not responsible for and now they are saying we have or we want to implement better ways to police the content and to sarah's point they have come to the table with a lot of great examples some are anecdotal maybe it's a you know one politician whose posts were taken down or maybe it's something else but we've caught we've gotten to a point where things can be toxic as a result of what happens on these platforms. They've done a lot of exciting things. The technology has allowed us to do a lot. But I would have hoped that they, these executives were in many ways more prepared. And so now headlines yeah. are coming out because there are sort of specific examples used, like the Capitol riots. Right. right. Uh, some of the lawmakers were asking, yes or no, do you bear responsibility <laughs> for this? And there's sort of these stuttering answers and, you know, Jack Dorsey walks away as the one who acknowledges, okay, yes, Twitter did play a role in that. And I, and I think mm-hmm. that, um, I think that the line of questioning, although scattered, is actually far more improved from when right. this process began. Accountability, yes or no, well, Sarah? I'm pretending I'm one of the lawmakers. But do they ultimately need to be, Sarah, accountable for the content? I think this is what we're trying to figure out. Are they accountable? Should they be accountable? And we've only got about 40 seconds, and then we'll come back and talk some more. Yeah, I'll tell you that 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 normative question is a bit of a misnomer because uh, the the fact is that they are already accountable. They're just accountable to themselves. So it's not as if we're going from no kind of uh, remediation and accountability. It's just that the public, and now we see both sides of the aisle, very much united in this this hearing with, with... with anger towards these firms. Well, or does it need to be accountability to an outside entity and not just internally? All right, let's get right back to our discussion. We're talking about the three big tech CEOs, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Sundar Pichai, and Jack Dorsey uh, up on Capitol Hill. Right now they're taking a little bit of a recess, but they are testifying about really disinformation on their platform. Sarah Roberts is still with us, Associate Professor of Information Studies at UCLA Graduate School of Education and Information Studies, and also still with us. Uh, She's from LA, John Ehrlichman on the phone in Toronto. He's anchor of BNN Bloomberg's The Open, correspondent for CTV National News. Um, Sarah, I just want to quickly follow up. I was talking about, you know, you said there is accountability, but do we need to have more outside accountability of these social media platforms in order for it to be better, and especially in terms of the spread of disinformation? Just quickly. Yes, absolutely absolutely we do. And, you know, I made the point somewhat facetiously to, to illustrate the fact that what we have right now is a case of the foxes guarding the hen house, and that doesn't usually turn out so well for the hens. Uh, uh, it, it's just not a it's not a good model, and moreover, many other industries don't seem to enjoy this kind of uh, this kind of leeway that has led to these firms uh, bec- becoming the behemoths that they are. 
one early on in the hearing, Zuckerberg pointed uh, and gestured at his firm's development of their Facebook oversight board as a mechanism they are using once again to uh, put a check on their decision-making power. And that board is designed as a, as a separate entity and a body that is um, wholly independent from Facebook. But the, the thing is, it's still inside of Facebook's logic, and it still doesn't carry the same kind of uh, weight and power that something like governmental regulation might or should, and certainly does in the context of other industries. Uh, broadcasting comes to mind as just one right. as we speak on the radio today. <laughs> hey, John, come on in here and talk a little bit about this from the investor and business perspective here. I'm looking at a chart of Facebook intraday. It's down four-tenths of 1%. Uh, Twitter mm-hmm. is down about eight-tenths of 1%. And Alphabet is higher by just two-tenths of 1%. From a business perspective, from an investor perspective, what is the worst-case scenario for these companies when it comes to regulation? And it happens. I mean, you know, the, the reality, Tim, is that we just, this this hearing today, I think we started this conversation by saying a lot has been thrown out. The, the biggest question becomes what can tangibly come from this? So if there was something truly meaningful that did come, well, that would uh, definitely change the game. But I, I want to be clear that Facebook itself uh, is being proactive in wanting to, you know, have a new version of the script because that way they can essentially, you know, have a way to not just manage how things are playing out in Washington, but on Wall Street, uh, you know, with their messaging to investors. Um, the numbers are pretty astounding, Tim and, and Carol. I mean, mm. Facebook's going to generate more than $100 billion in revenue this year for the first time. Uh, it will have done that in 17 years. That's faster than Microsoft, Amazon, Walmart, GM, Chevron, AT&T. And, you know, it comes back to the fact that they're used by everybody and they have this massive ad business. You know, there was a funny, there was an interesting moment when Mark Zuckerberg was asked uh, about advertising targeting those under the age of 13 on Instagram, at which point he said, well, if people under 13 aren't allowed on Instagram. Hmm. And, um, oh, but come on. <laughs> Well, exactly, and 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 he and 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 so the lawmaker asked, well, okay, how do you verify that? And you know, well, you enter your age, and so I think there was. Oh, come on, John. But 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 Zuckerberg, what he talked about really for the first time was that they're thinking of an Instagram for people who are under the age of thirteen, so they can further police it. So they've got a business plan for everything, and I got to tell you guys to answer Tim's question. I mean, investors have loved this story. That is the reality. You know, making money attracts people who want to make money. So what does that mean then, John, from the investor world, just quickly? <laughs> then I don't really think, unless there are, are, are real teeth in what lawmakers go, are going to do, and I don't think we know that right now, that yeah. Facebook is still in a power position along with Google. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they've gotten smarter in terms of lobbying and spending a lot more money, just like uh, companies that have been around for 100 years. Sarah, realistically, we've just got about a minute and a half left here. I mean, realistically, is this just grandstanding? We'll have these hearings and then we're going to move on and nothing really changes? Well, you know, you, you set it up perfectly for me to spike it over the net. I was reading a report yesterday about the biggest players in the in the government uh, relations, a.k.a. lobbying scene yeah. uh, in terms of dollars and, and boots on the ground in places like D.C. Guess who's leading that race right now? If you guessed Facebook, you'd be right. <laughs> if you guessed Amazon, you'd be right, too. They're number two. And, of course, we're not talking about them today, but they're in the background here as well. So, um, you know, the question remains beyond these kinds of hearings that 
uh, are a lot of the political theater. We have to see what will actually shake out in the form of legislation. But it's important to know that uh, lawmakers often know where the bread is buttered, right? And these lobbyists are there to remind them. Uh, so the money piece, following the money, is going to be important. And I also have to say, just as an industry watcher, you know, I just checked in with this with the trading and, and stock prices just before I got on the call. And as we all know, these uh, these these firms have their shares trading at darn near 52-week highs. In some cases, all-time highs for for a firm like uh, uh, Twitter, uh, which was ling- ling- languishing and lingering, uh, languishing and lingering right. in these like really r- low places. It's way you know, right. up many many times. Hey guys, Sarah, we got to run. This is great, and I know we'll come back to this, uh, no doubt about it, over the next few months. Sarah Roberts, Associate Professor of Information Studies at UCLA Graduate School of Education and Information Studies. John Ehrlichman, anchor of BNN Bloomberg's The Open. Chris Bonnet for CTV National News. Guys, thank you so much. This is Bloomberg. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, just about nine minutes left in today's trading session. Let's get to the drive to the close. Bill Smead back with us, CEO, CIO at Smead Capital Management, based in Seattle, but uh, on the phone in Phoenix, Arizona. The Smead Value Fund, by the way, beating just about all of its peers so far this year and really over the past five years, returning on average more than 14% annually. Hey, Bill, good to have you here with Tim and me. How are you? Very well, thank you. So how do you see the market environment right now? Well, it's very interesting, as always. That's one of the beauties of having this as an occupation. Uh, You have what is likely a bear market developing in the NASDAQ. Uh, At the same time, you have uh, bull markets in the things that benefit the most from reopening. And it's harder to understand if you're in a place that hasn't reopened. Uh, I'm, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and the, 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 this town is almost completely open. There were 138 cases in the state of Arizona re- recorded today, and you know that's down from 10,000 or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. not very long ago, and and so watching the activity of people here is a nice picture of what it will look like once the combination of vaccinated plus you know, already already had the virus uh, reaches that 60, 70% level. So, Bill, a bear market for the NASDAQ. What about value and where you see opportunity? What are some names? Well, uh, you know, we, we like the home builders. There's a, a line of logic out there that says, gee, because home building's gone so well that it has to be some kind of a top or a cyclical high. And we have a chart that shows the number of homes built each year divided by population going back 62 years. Yeah. And the current, the current home building level just gets us up to the deepest recession levels of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. So, so basically, 
we're just still about the third or fourth inning of a nine-inning uh, housing recovery that should stretch the next decade. So we like Lennar, we like Doc, uh, Dr. Horton, and uh, and we own NBR. And what everyone is kind of forgetting is that the market share of these companies has grown immensely. Uh, we have one chart that shows that Dr. Horton, the largest home builder, had one percent market share in 1994, and they have about nine percent market share this year. Hmm. And and that so. We have a lot of houses to build, and those houses are going to predominantly be built by the 10 largest home builders, and we own three of the top five. Hey, Bill, we got Jeff Mesger, the CEO of KB Home, joining us uh, later in the show, in the next hour. What would you ask him? Oh, uh, you know, I, I don't think we need to ask him a lot. We, 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 we've been listening to Stuart Miller and uh, uh, and and speaking regularly and understanding their industry, KB is, I believe, a big California builder. Correct. And that's problematic uh, because California is a weird state for a couple of reasons. One, my my cousin helped create Proposition 13 a long time ago, which caps people's property taxes wow. at the price they bought the home at. And and so people that are in their home never want to leave them because they never want to have to pay higher property taxes. And then secondarily, there's not a lot of land left in the most attractive uh, cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, et cetera. Therefore, it's just not that great a place to build homes unless you move quite a ways away. And they're doing that, I'm sure. But the big opportunity really is going to 75 percent of the geography of the united states where you can build homes for half the price of what you can build them in california well and do you think working from home and you know all of these stories about people and companies now saying listen you don't have to work at our offices you can work anywhere you want in the country do you think that's going to create some housing booms elsewhere and some opportunities in terms of home building in other markets well i do but i think the offices will move to the less expensive areas also to accommodate that. And, hmm. and I, I, I'm actually in the camp that thinks work from, work from home is overrated. Uh, a good friend of mine ran a successful business for a long time. He said, it's not what's expected that gets done. It's what's inspected. Interesting. <laughs> and it's, it's hard to inspect what your employees are doing when you're not around them. I, hey, I'm, I'm in your camp. Okay. Not necessarily because I don't trust, you know, my colleagues, but I just like to be at work rather than at home. <laughs> um, hey, big- it, it, it's, it, it's good from a social standpoint, yeah. certainly. Listen, just got about 30 seconds left there. Any other names that you think uh, are on your radar right now or that you've committed new money? Just got to be really quick if you could. We think that people around the country that haven't opened up yet are going to be shocked at the number of people that go to class A malls like Mace Rich huh. and Simon. Malls, shopping. Wow. Haven't People want to get back to it. Haven't done that in years. Um, good stuff. Bill, thank you so much. Stay well. Bill Smead, he is CEO and CIO at Smead Capital Management. As I mentioned, their value fund has been beating uh, almost all of its peers consistently over the past five years. Uh, joining us on the phone in Phoenix. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.